You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Peter Jones. Peter is the associate professor in the Center for Cardiovascular Disease Prevention of the Methodist DeBakey Heart Center and Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. Dr. Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Larry. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about statin intolerance. We hear about it a lot. Can you give me a a good definition of what statin intolerance is and is not? Great question, because usually the definition starts with the patient. Most physicians use statins, feel very comfortable with them as important drugs in the prevention of cardiovascular disease, and you'll prescribe it, and then a patient will uh, tell you that they think they have perception of an adverse effect, and most of that is the complaint of muscle aching or myalgia. Sometimes it's around the joints, but it's mostly in the large muscle groups, the shoulders and legs. It may be a soreness. It's rarely muscle weakness, but the patient says they feel different taking the statin, and they complain to the physician that they either don't like it or they discontinue their drug. And I think that's the most common physician encounter with a patient in statin intolerance is related to the muscle. I do think there are some other uncommon intolerances, such as liver enzyme increases. You give a statin and the liver enzymes increase, you stop it and they revert to a normal. You may challenge them again, it goes back up. And so the physician may say, well, I think you're intolerant from a liver standpoint, but the Mm -hmm. patient never notices that. Right. What do we consider intolerant from a liver standpoint? How much of an elevation of LFTs will you tolerate before you label somebody intolerant? Well, I guess that depends on baseline liver enzyme elevations. I think many of the patients we see at high risk for heart disease may have insulin resistance and fatty liver, sure, and they may so have they... baseline liver function abnormality. Right. So if they, they can be you know, two times upper limits normal at baseline. You may accept another increase of 50% or even 100% above that and still feel fairly comfortable that the statin's not a problem. But if baseline are normal, I think you get up to three times the upper limit of normal and you probably have to make a decision about yeah. stopping or decreasing the dose and seeing if things improve. Let's talk a little bit about the different medicines available because there are clinicians out there, I think, that label someone statin intolerant when they've really tried one agent and are afraid to try others. And in my experience... It's very common that I'll be able to get them to tolerate another statin. You are absolutely correct, Larry. I think the thing that's key for physicians to understand is that there are several members in this class of statins. And while a physician may have a favorite one that they tend to use, muscle complaints primarily are dose-dependent. A possibility may be that you can reduce the dose and a patient may be able to tolerate a lower dose of that statin. But don't give up on the statin. Just because they can't tolerate one, they may be able to tolerate another one. And so it's worth trying another statin to see if the patient can tolerate it. All right. So we both agree on that. And then another thing I like to do is if someone really needs to be on the statin, let's say they have actual coronary artery disease yes. and they cannot tolerate, let's say, a torvastatin 20 or 40 a day, I'll go with rosuvastatin 2.5 milligrams every other day and they do great. That is a great point, uh, Larry. You know, I think these longer-acting statins, there are two of them. They have longer half-lives. That's a Torvastatin Lipitor and, and Rosuvastatin Crestor. 
their longer action does allow you every other day dosing, and so you can either take a set dose and give it to them every other day, or you can have a dose like five milligrams down to two and a half and give it every other day, and you find the patient can tolerate that, whereas everyday dosing they may not. And then we always forget about the poor little less call always gets ignored. That's correct. Actually, at a meeting not too long ago, they did a trial on statin intolerant patients and tried fluvastatin, which is less call, and found out that only a quarter of statin intolerant patients were still unable to tolerate the less call at its maximum dose, which wow. is 80 milligrams a day. So there's still options, and don't forget that there are other statins available besides the usual market leaders. Well, besides muscle aches. And let's talk a little bit more about the muscle aches because I'll have patients come in and they'll say, my right arm hurts. And and my understanding is that it should be symmetrical. It should be more than just one little local spot. And historically, I'll say, okay, well, let's, I don't think that's it, but let's stop the medicine for two weeks and see. And most of the time we stop the medicine and their pain persists and then we're able to resume the medicine. That's a very good point. Usually, the myalgias that patients get with normal CK or creatinine kinase levels is symmetrical. It's usually the larger muscle groups, such as the upper arms across the shoulders. It could be in the lower back. Usually, it's in the thighs as well, but it's usually symmetrical. This thing like my knee hurts or my elbow around my upper shoulder is probably not statin intolerance. It's probably more a local problem. Bursitis could be arthritis, could be other things, but stopping the drug, telling the patient to be objective about whether it really improved or not is one way to determine that. But be suspicious if they sort of point to one area and say, that's where my problem is. It probably is not a true myalgia related to statins. If you just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. Peter Jones from the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. We're talking about statin intolerance. Dr. Jones, you mentioned CPKs. Is this something that we should routinely be looking for? Or because you know, a lot of times we check it, it's high, and the patient's not complaining of muscle aches. And then what do you do with this abnormal lab? Usually most of us do not measure CKs. They're not part of a routine laboratory panel, and you have to specifically ask for it. I would not go fishing for CKs on patients either at baseline or after they've started a statin. If they're asymptomatic, there's no reason to go fishing uh, looking for whether CKs can tell you whether there's a problem. Any serious problem with muscles related to statins, CKs cannot foretell whether there will be a more serious issue long-term. So using them at baseline or follow-up in an asymptomatic patient is not recommended. Now, if a patient complains of myalgias, then you might want to check it and see. And of course, if it's significantly elevated, you know, more than five times, which is usually a thousand international units or more, then you have to be seriously concerned that there not only is the complaint real, but that there is a significant effect of the statin and you probably have to discontinue it and rethink your strategies. Peter, if we return to the patient that has severe disease, coronary artery disease, and let's say they've got three stents in them and terrible peripheral vascular disease and carotid disease and small vessel changes in their brain, and they need a statin, and they do have some of these muscle aches, what tricks of the trade can you teach us that we can try that actually show benefit for decreasing the muscle aches? I do believe that, number one, the lower dose every other day possibility at least gives them a statin on board, and that's one trick you can try. The other is to have a frank discussion with the patient about the tolerability of these muscle aches. If it's tolerable and patients don't mind trying to deal with it with either acetaminophen or nonsteroidals every once in a while, convince them to stay on the statin. The benefits far outweigh the risks. 
there is the question about whether the statin myalgias are related to a depletion of coenzyme Q10 or ubiquinone. And right. uh, you can give supplemental CoQ10 and potentially improve their myalgias. There's some studies suggest it can help. There are some studies that suggest it doesn't help. In my experience, if you're really contemplating the patient discontinuing statin and you're trying to find a way for them to stay on a statin, I, it's worth a try to give them at least 100 milligrams, probably more, of CoQ10 a day to see if that will help. Right. I was about to ask, what is the appropriate dose? Because there are large doses, there are small doses, there are different brands. Right. You know, how do you steer your patient? you say go to Walgreens and get... Yeah, yeah you can go to, to any regular Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, but most of them over-the-counter are sold either as 25 or 50 milligrams, so they're not usually very big doses, but they do have to take at least 100 milligrams. The studies that have shown some benefit in supplements compared to placebo were using a minimum of 100, sometimes up to 200 milligrams a day. So if a patient takes 25 or 50 and says, I don't think it did anything, that may not be a sufficient trial. And theoretically, if you put someone on CoQ10, you really should be able to get 30% of them to have an improvement just from placebo effects. Well, that's true. You will get some who will say, I think it works. Well, if they think it works, Keep, and it works. Keep, it works. I keep taking it and on we go. But there is a placebo effect that's been shown in some trials, but there has been some that have shown a sufficiently more than placebo effect. I've also read that vitamin D replacement can also help with some of the myalgias. Have you seen that or tried that? Well, that is a possibility, and a lot more in the literature now about vitamin D deficiencies. It seems like all of us Everybody, are vitamin D right. deficient, and it may even relate to some as a portent of cardiovascular disease risk in some way that's probably a reasonable thing to try, if not for statin myalgias, but possibly for other benefits as well. Peter, let's move on to the same patient. And this person just cannot tolerate any statin we've thrown at them. I think we forget that there are other great medicines out there that lower people's risk of having a heart attack and or dying. And so, you know, there's this thing called niacin that I think we all forget about and put on the back burner. But what should we try next after the statin? If the statin fails, what's your go-to? Well, you really have to look at what you're trying to do. For some patients, it's lowering LDL cholesterol, and for others, it's a combination of LDL lowering as well as altering HDL uh, favorably upward and maybe lowering triglyceride-rich lipoprotein. So you mentioned niacin, and, and it's a vitamin, and uh, we know we've had a lot of data over the years of the effectiveness of niacin, including a study from 30 years ago called the Coronet Drug Project, sure. where niacin reduced uh, non-fatal MIs and over the long haul improved uh, total mortality. So don't forget that there's niacin. They've got uh, some better tolerated niacins now, and in the near future may have a reduced flushing form of niacin that comes along. So you can get about a 10 to 15% reduction LDL with uh, niacin of 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams a day, as well as increasing HDL and lowering triglycerides. We have intestinally active drugs that lower LDL, and the old one there are the bile acid resins. Mm -hmm. It used to be cholestyramine. Now you have uh, cholecevalam, which is well called, they lower LDL about uh, 15 to 20 percent alone. You can use that in combination with a cholesterol absorption inhibitor. That's called ezetimibe, and it lowers LDL 15 to 20 percent by itself. There's a couple of trials where you add those two together. Sure. Ezetimibe and the bile acid resin, and you can get 35 percent lowering in LDL cholesterol. And so there are options. You can add niacin to ezetimibe, niacin to uh, cholecevalam or well call. And those are combinations that have been looked at on surrogate endpoints like quantitative coronary angiography. So there are options that are not statin-based, and we do have evidence from the bile acid resins from 24 years ago that you can reduce coronary events in the coronary primary prevention trial.
What about these products you see now that are almost like yogurt drinks called Promise? Well, that's looking at lifestyle changes. You know, you can lower LDL with lifestyle. Of course, that's a hard thing for many patients to do. But, you know, lowering saturated fat in the diet, lowering trans fat, uh, maybe replacing those fats with, you know, omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids and monounsaturated fats can lower LDL 10%. What you mentioned, Promise and HeartWise orange juice are plant stanol esters. Plant stanol and sterols, if taken in two grams or more a day, can lower LDL about 12%. That's on top of what you might do by replacing saturated fats in the diet. So, you know, a lifestyle-changing diet can lower LDL as much as 10 to 20% alone, regardless of whether you use any medication. So we can't forget that weight loss in some patients can lower LDL, but exercise only increases HDL, doesn't tend to lower LDL. Well, I think you've done a great job of summing it up that there are numerous other agents out there to help people if they cannot tolerate the statins, but don't give up on the statins prematurely. Dr. Peter Jones, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Larry. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.